This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one. With Nicole Claygood and Cooper Linton, here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday evening to you. Jason Kong here with Nicole Claggett with Transitions Guiding Lights. Good evening to you, Nicole. Hey, I'm so glad to be here, but I feel like I'm all alone in a canoe. I know. you are. We're just paddling in circles at this point I with know. no Cooper Linton. This I is, know. I'm lost. I know. <laughs> it's okay. We've, uh, we'll have Cooper back next week, yes. and all will be... All will be well. And All will we'll be, be right in the world. Yes. <laughs> we'll be back on our, our full axis. Well, Nicole, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, palliative care and hospice, and I think this is a very topical discussion that we're having this evening. So I'll, I'll let you take it from here. Yeah, you know, uh, with the recent passing of uh, former First Lady Barbara Bush, you know, she really brought the whole idea of end-of-life care back to the forefront of our minds. And, you know, I've been seeing through our work that a lot of people really seem to be thinking about hospice and palliative care, but I think she really brought that out to just the general uh, mainstream media and and the, and the general lay community and, and my understanding is that you know she decided that of course according to media because we know everything media says is right right <laughs> but but she decided that she did not want to seek curative measures and she wanted to die peacefully and comfortably at home and it appears that she did that so um, I'm so glad to have here today with us a dr. Patel and she's the chief medical officer of transitions life care and Dr. Kendall Wall, and she's the director of inpatient palliative care team at Transitions Life Care to really bring some light to this topic and talk to us a little bit about perhaps what former First Lady Barbara Bush went through, um, kind of how families make these types of decisions, and, and what is exactly palliative care and hospice. And that's a mouthful. We're not going to do all that at once. But um, <laughs> let's start off with you know the decision that former First Lady Barbara Bush made. Thank you so much, Nicole, for having me. This is Dr. Kendall Wall. Um, you know, I think it was wonderful that the Bush family brought this to our attention in the national level. We heard this term palliative care. And in my field where I practice, I practice in the hospital setting. This brought, was brought up the past couple of days from families asking about what is palliative care? What does that mean? And is that hospice care? And so I'm kind of glad this all happened because we can really have an honest conversation about what this medical field is mm-hmm. it's a specialty palliative care compared to what hospice is and if is there a difference so palliative care I, I really break it down very easy for families and patients I, I I really say this is the main three things that we do one we make sure we're doing well with any symptoms our patients are experiencing um, in, in this case with you know Barbara Bush she had heart failure that's mm-hmm. what was known to all of us um, and that and with that comes shortness of breath pain issues anxiety, different kind of symptoms. So we make sure we're doing well for our patients who have chronic illnesses, such as heart failure, and we're managing them their symptoms well. So they live better. They live more comfortably with their symptoms. The second main thing we do is communication. It can be very confusing in um, a lot of patients who have a lot of chronic illnesses. They're on multiple medications. Mm-hmm. They see multiple specialists <laughs> yes. and it becomes very confusing. And if someone just sat down with our patients and families and had a conversation about, one, what are your goals? Because you're seeing all these specialists and all these medications, and it's important to know what your personal goals are for yourself to live well with these diseases, and that we communicate, all of us together, 
to support your goals. So what do you hold most sacred as a human being? Exactly. Mm -hmm. How do you define good quality of living with these chronic diseases as you go through your treatments for it? Mm -hmm. So that's really what palliative care is. It's a specialty of multiple specialists. I work with social workers and nurses and nurse practitioners, and we're all trained together to manage this complex population of patients Mm -hmm. as they go through their treatments for their medicate with their medications and seeking treatments for their diseases, whether it's cancer or heart failure, for example. And the third? And often we work on um, seeing about discharge plans if they're from the hospital and how to get support and resources in the home setting. Mm -hmm. So we manage symptoms, communicating well with goals of care, Mm -hmm. and getting resources and support at discharge from a hospital and in the home setting. What kind of resources in the community can we get to support the family and patients to live well at home? Um, Do they need rehab? We connect them to the resources. So we kind of... We basically put all the puzzle pieces together for the patients and family to make it more of an easier way to navigate the system. So doctors, I'm going to take off my uh, radio show host hat and throw on my social worker hat. And I've, I've found over the years that families just have a really difficult time with when is enough enough. And they just, you know, they look to the doctors to tell them there's nothing more that we can do sometimes. And I think sometimes there's some hesitation on the physician's part to say that because, right, aren't doctors supposed to fix everything? Yeah, you know, that's, first First off, I want to kind of go back to that phrase of there's nothing more that we can do. Uh-huh. So we actually do a lot of, uh, from our perspective, education of our colleagues, because mm-hmm. that is something that they are reluctant to say, uh-huh. but also that we we think could be phrased in a different mm-hmm. way. So we always think that, you know, there's no treatment that's going to cure your disease right. or there's no, you know, um, way that we can reverse what's happening. Mm-hmm. But there is so much that we can do. And when we think about with, um, especially if somebody's getting to that point at end of life where they need hospice care, the amount of things that are done is just phenomenal. I mean, the amount of support that patients and families get in the home, their medications, their supplies, their um, spiritual, social, medical support. And so um, we want people to understand that even, and that's one of the things that came out with um, the former first lady that I think, at least on social media, a lot of the people in the palliative care field were a little bit um, having a debate about because (laughs) we, you know, one of the statements that was made in the media was um, that she has decided to um, decline any treatment mm-hmm. and you know the all of us in this field felt like no she's not declining treatment mm-hmm. she's shifting her treatment to a different focus so we're still doing we're just doing differently differently mm-hmm. and we're trying to focus now on things that are important right now mm-hmm. knowing that we may not be able to reverse or cure whatever disease process is happening and so I think, um, but we, you know, we, there is a, a challenge in our medical system that there's a lot of things that we can do to people, mm-hmm. but what we need to focus on is doing things for people mm-hmm. in the right way. And so just because there is an experimental trial or there is this new invasive procedure that we can do, you have to put it in the context of that entire person because for that person, it, it really may not um, meet their goals, like Dr. Mm-hmm. Kendall well talked about. It might not meet their goals of what they're trying to achieve. It might not make them function better, and it might cause more complications. So we have to always take it in the context of each individual. 
So one of the things that I've I've found is particularly helpful for families who are perhaps not ready to jump over to the other side and stop curative measures. I have found that palliative care actually is a very good bridge. You know, you get to have s- some consultation from a physician or a nurse practitioner or a social worker to really have some of those deeper conversations to help that family come to terms with what they want and don't want and what their quality of life wants you know what what they want it to look like what they hold sacred basically is is that really true i mean in palliative care you can still be you know on your chemotherapy and having your radiation or just you know going through another bypass or what have you but you could still be receiving palliative services absolutely um and and i think that's one thing even our colleagues you know dr patel and i have physician colleagues that have this misconception that once families or patients decide they want palliative care involved in their care quote, they're giving up. Yes, I hear that all the time. Yes, and it's just, one, acknowledging that fear and really educating not even just families and patients, but our colleagues, that that's not what it is. It's actually to add more support as the patients and families deal with this serious illness. They're getting their treatments. We like to empower families and patients with what questions to ask on my next visit. So often if they're on certain cancer treatments or they're asking about trials, we sit down and and give them some information and kind of empower them with what other questions to ask they may not even be aware to ask or afraid to ask. So it's more also empowering and supporting the families and patients as they go through their treatments, as they follow up with their specialists, that we connect the dots for them, that we kind of give them more information and how to ask certain questions. We've got Dr. Kandel Wall and Dr. Patel here in the studio. We'll continue our conversation in just a bit. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. We are talking all about palliative care, and as I said, we will uh, dive into that a bit more here on Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Cleggett from Transitions Guiding Lights and Cooper Linton from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. And you can always find more about Transitions Life Care at transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett, Cooper Linton. Uh, we've given him the night off. I think, <laughs> I think he's earned it. Uh, but we've got two special guests here in the studio. We've got Dr. Christine Candelwall and Dr. Laura Patel, both with uh, Transitions Life Care as well. And we're talking all about palliative care right now. And uh, Nicole, I was so excited to uh, get uh, get some bills paid by going to commercial that I, <laughs> I, I cut off Dr. Patel before she could <laughs> chime in on, uh, on palliative care. So uh, we can we can dish it back to her. I think so. You know, and I, Dr. Patel wanted to make a, a point. You know, it's not all of us just sitting here, you know, with philosophy saying, whoa, this just sounds like a great idea. There's actually proof that this is really working with folks with palliative care is actually a really great idea. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, there's there's actually been a number of studies that look at, you know, when is the right time to introduce palliative care and what are what is the impact of palliative care? And so um, there's been studies showing that, you know, if you introduce palliative care alongside treatment with cancer of, you know, advanced cancer earlier in the disease course, those patients actually have improved quality of life, they have less risk for depression, and um, they may actually live longer. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, ho- and then hopefully, you know, they're living longer with actually better quality of life through all of that. And that was kind of 
somewhat surprising results, I think, to the medical community at large, but not so surprising to those of us in the palliative care field because yeah. we see it every day. When you yep. support people, you support families, you support them in their decisions, you treat their symptoms, that they are um, able to have that better quality of life. And sometimes they do, in fact, live longer. Um, and that's not necessarily, you know, the goal is really to support the patient and family in whatever they need. Um, but that's certainly a welcome side effect. Sure thing, for sure. Uh, so I know, you know, a lot of times there are a lot of stereotypes uh, historically about hospice and palliative care that this is all about cancer, 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 cancer. And the reality of it is, is palliative care can treat a whole host of different disease states. Am I correct? Yep, that's correct. So this is how I kind of phrase it for families and patients. Even when you think about we live so long now in this country, thankfully, with all these chronic illnesses that are technically incurable, heart failure, lung diseases, mm -hmm. chronic kidney disease, dementia, those are just some examples, um, even cancer. A lot mm -hmm. of people are living years and years with cancers. So you have all these really complicated what I call chronic illnesses, meaning we don't necessarily have a cure necessarily. We manage them. But we manage mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. And people don't realize it till I kind of sit down and phrase it that way. And when they look back the years they've had this disease, they recognize, you're right, that it is a something I've always had to deal with and I've still did well with it. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's how I kind of phrase it. And dementia really throws people off. But again, if you think about how dementia works in the stages and mm -hmm. the natural decline years with it, people recognize, oh, it is considered a chronic illness. Mm -hmm. It is something that we need palliative care involved at the later stages of it. So it's just kind of, again, just a lot of education, teaching families and patients about that. So I'm sure a lot of folks listening are thinking, you know, wow, you know, my loved one potentially has something that could really benefit from this type of a service. And so this is a consultative service. And I know that Transitions Life Care, you work both within hospitals and community. Yeah, so it is um, a medical specialty. Mm -hmm. And so in the, in the inpatient setting, it's usually a consult. And a lot of times that's patients and families' first introduction to palliative care. It's because they're in the middle of a crisis. They have an acute exacerbation of whatever illness they have. And they're asking for specialists to come in and help guide decision-making and help manage some of these symptoms. And so that's a team that can, provides palliative care in the hospital. And around the triangle, pretty much all the hospitals have a dedicated palliative care team. So okay. you can request it, um, your doctor might request it, um, but certainly if you're aware and you feel like you'd benefit from it, you can request that as well. And then um, many places also have clinics. So sometimes it's paired with your oncology clinic or with a heart failure clinic and there might be a palliative care um, physician or nurse practitioner Either so outpatient, you're outpatient. saying. Outpatient. So okay. like you're going to see your oncologist, maybe you're also making an appointment with your palliative care um, oh, okay. physician. And a lot of times it's coordinated in, mm -hmm. in centers. And then other programs like ours have uh, home-based palliative care where we're actually going into the homes and providing interdisciplinary support. So we're uh, medical support with nurse practitioners and physicians, social work and nurses. So that sounds like it's pretty labor intensive from a from a staffing perspective. It as is well. very labor intensive and you know at this point Medicare um, and most insurance plans do pay for the physician and NP component of palliative care. Mm -hmm. So we bill it through part what's called part B billing. Like any specialist, if you were to go see a cardiologist or um, a lung doctor, they would mm -hmm. bill it in that same way. Um, but there are some, there's some discussion going on at the national level of the need to develop an alternative way to pay for palliative care, recognizing that people need um, more than just a physician or nurse practitioner. They need that 
social work, nurse, um, mm. spiritual care support that is really inherent in palliative care. So similar to, you know, when we talk on on air about, you know, not every assisted living is just like every other assisted living. When you're looking at providing hospice or palliative care services, there is sort of a baseline if you're going to provide those services of what everybody needs to meet as a minimum. Mm -hmm. But then other organizations decide to sort of maybe specialize in some areas or add additional services. So at Transitions Life Care, what are some of the add-ons, so to speak, that you cover besides the consultative service? Yeah. So for palliative care, we um, we provide pretty comprehensive care in the home. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're doing active pilots with some different um, payers in our community, so different mm-hmm. insurance companies, where patients are allowed to get additional support in the home with nurses and social, works coming, social workers coming to visit. Um, and we have a specialized heart failure program. We're um, building some dementia support um, so really trying to target, you know, what are some of the areas that people need different types of support and matching the need with the right type of support. So it's not a one size fits all for everyone. Exactly. Yeah. Nothing, nothing in life really seems to be. <laughs> so and as far as um, I know that and we're going to get into hospice in a little bit a little bit of time here, but as far as palliative care goes, I mean, you can receive that for years, really, right? I mean, there's no time limit on how many mm-hmm. times, you know, or how many months you can be on this right. type of that's, service? Right, that's correct, Nicole. Um, so, for example, I practice in the hospital setting, and so often, as Dr. Patel said, we'll be the first introduction that families and patients meet the te- our team because they've gone through a crisis, say, with their heart failure or their COPD, their lung disease. We kind of establish a goals. We work this out with the families. Um, and then when they get discharged, depending on where they live, we could, our team can see them at home. After a while, after even some weeks and things kind of stabilize and things are better and months can go by, we can kind of back off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Maybe they don't need a, such intensive needs at the home and mm-hmm. um, they're, they're doing well. Um, so we could even, the team can back off a little bit. If they get rehospitalized, we can engage again and get more involved again during a crisis. So it is kind of um, just as the diseases go up and down with mm-hmm. their crises and they stabilize. That's how palliative care also could follow along with a disease course. So we all know, you know, one of the issues with quality of care for folks is that the healthcare system is so fragmented, right? I mean, we keep talking about you have a specialist for your heart, you have a specialist for your skin, you have a specialist for your eyes, you have a specialist for your kidneys. I mean, I. You must be able to have a specialist for your hair, I'm guessing. I don't know. I'm not really sure. I mean, there's got your toenails, perhaps. I think they're actually there. There is. Yes. So so I'm just kind of wondering, you know, what, what I hope and wish, and I'm not sure if this is even true. I mean, if a palliative care physician or nurse practitioner gets involved, it would be kind of need if this was a chronic illness that somebody kind of looks at the situation and becomes the air traffic controller and tries to work with all the different specialists. Does does that exist or is that just me with a pipe dream? <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a whole idea with the palliative care team. Mm-hmm. Um, they get to know their same provider and really, really engage in the community primary care physicians. That's really how we try to, again, not trying to take over care. It's so important that primary care provider in the community is such an important role in the mm-hmm. patient and their family's lives. And so, yes, there's def- certainly um, the palliative care team members communicating often and regularly uh, to the primary care physician and specialist as well. So, mm-hmm. again, it, it is kind of a, I like that term, the traffic <laughs> controller. 
again, trying to navigate all that for the families and patients' behalf, yes. That's a good analogy. <laughs> I like that. We've got Dr. Christine Candelwall and Dr. Laura Patel here in the studio, and we will continue our conversation on palliative care and also get into hospice care in just a bit. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Claggett from Transitions Guiding Lights and Cooper Linton from Transitions Life Care, here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. You can always find more information at transitionslifecare.org. You can also find uh, past episodes of Aging Matters at WPTF.com. Head over to the host section and search for Aging Matters, and you'll find uh, a lovely picture of Nicole and Cooper <laughs> hanging out in the uh, the, uh, the lovely Highwoods area. And, yeah, so you can we listen. live at large. You do. You, do. You, guys, you guys are big time. Uh, uh, but yeah, all past episodes, and if you want to share this episode with a friend, you can find it online right now at WPTF.com. And uh, we've got Dr. Christine Candelwall. She's the Director of Inpatient Palliative Care at Transitions Life Care. And we've also got Dr. Laura Patel here with us. She's the Chief Medical Officer at Transitions Life Care. And Nicole, we've uh, these two terms, I guess, are always They're seeming, interchanged a lot. linked yeah. together, mm-hmm. uh, but there is a, there's a difference, palliative care and hospice. So we've, we've talked a lot about palliative care, so maybe we'll move over to hospice. I think so. You know, um, I like to often think about hospice as uh, palliative care on steroids, but that's just me. <laughs> I picture it as like the big muscle man walking around. Um, but, you know, Dr. Patel, I would love for you just to sort of highlight, you know, what exactly is hospice and how is it different than palliative care? Why, why might somebody transition from one to the other? Yeah, hospice is really a a benefit that we all get from living in this country, especially when we are using Medicare, the Mm -hmm. Medicare benefit. And it's a series of services that you're able to access when your disease is at the point where the treatments are no longer working Mm -hmm. or you're getting more um, harm from those treatments than good. And you have a conversation with your physicians um, and you, and discuss kind of moving more towards complete focus on quality of life and comfort Mm -hmm. and no longer necessarily trying to pursue chemotherapy or surgery or other things that you've been doing up until this point. And so, you know, hospice is typically delivered in the home. About, I think, 96% of care is done in the home. And it's an interdisciplinary approach. Again, it's really addressing the needs of a person as they're reaching the last few months of their life. Um, And those needs are not all medical. There's a Mm -hmm. lot of spiritual needs and Mm -hmm. social needs and family needs and support needs and care needs that occur. And that's what hospice is there designed to try to help um, support families through that process. So you mentioned, you know, hospice is typically provided in the home. And I know there's a lot of confusion out there because throughout the various different counties, there are a number of hospice homes. And I think a lot of people think you go to those places to die, but that's really not the reality of what they're for, correct? Right. Yeah, that is a common um, point of confusion. And I think, um, so hospice homes or inpatient hospice centers are Mm -hmm. typically units that are designed to provide really high level of support for patients who cannot be managed in any other setting. And that usually means they're 
having a lot of severe symptoms or have a lot of really um, significant care needs that just can't be done in the home setting or in a nursing home setting. Um, that's an actual level of support of the Medicare benefit of hospice. Mm-hmm. Hospice has four different levels of support and they all are associated with a little bit different payment mechanism to support the more intensive nature of that care. So you mentioned a little bit about um, hospice is about living well and having a better quality of life. And I think a lot of people are just scared to death of that thought of going on hospice. Again, going back to the original part of our conversation of people just feel like, in general, it's giving up. How, how can you help a person live well? How can you help them get past those feelings? What are some of the things that, you know, if family members are seeing a loved one decline, but that loved one is just holding on for dear life because they've always been a fighter and they just don't want to give up. How do we broach that topic with, with family members, especially family members who are not necessarily seeing eye to eye on the issue? That's a really wonderful question because that's really what goes on every day, mm-hmm. um, Nicole. I think one is... Having a really, and I say this, I, I really have a heart-to-heart conversation with my patients, sometimes separately with families not in the room. Yeah. And the reality is most majority of my patients have such insight to understand what's going on with their body. Their internal clock. Is Absolutely. Them. There's this innate wisdom that mm-hmm. we all know mm-hmm. we're naturally declining. And I have patients that are very honest and they're scared to bring things up because they want to get things in order. They mm-hmm. want to take this burden of, protecting their family of not talking about something that they really do want to talk about. And they don't want to let them down. Exactly. And I rephrase that. We're always about fighting, fighting, Mm -hmm. fighting. You know, we hear that a lot. And there comes, that doesn't mean just because your body's naturally declining doesn't mean you're not still fighting, that Mm -hmm. your heart's not into living and and Mm -hmm. being with your family. That's that's not what this is about. It's just kind of rephrasing Mm -hmm. fighting. You know, we use that term all the time. And I don't like, I don't like to, my families and patients, I feel like they failed. They failed at this fight. So much guilt. Exactly. We put so much on them with that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really rephrase it. And again, when I get to know the patient and what their life has been about, and I focus it more on that. Well, you know, you know, Dr. Patel mentioned spiritual care. A lot of my patients want to get to church still. And Mm -hmm. so it's just more rephrasing and their individual life and what has always made them happy and and to live well. And so it's just matching that. If it could be something that's going to church and how Mm -hmm. do we do that? And so once I meet with my patients and understand them better, I engage a conversation with family there to listen to what their loved one is saying. Mm-hmm. And I and it's wonderful because you see such a relief because often families want to talk about this too. But they're too scared to bring it up and they want to be able to prepare for their loved one. How do we prepare for the future? You know, how are we going to manage, you know, my mom's always wanted to age at home. I don't know how to do that. So it's it's finally like this big sigh of relief when we get all in the room together mm-hmm. and we talk about it. Because it's such a disservice if we don't talk about it, if we're not honest about it, and it becomes a crisis Mm -hmm. and and it's too late. And so it's often a sigh of relief, I'll be honest, when we finally get all in the room together. You know, I think um, one of the biggest things we often hear about hospice from the families is that they wish they did it sooner. Mm -hmm. And the reality of it is, is length of stay of people on hospice care is so, so short and we can do so, so much more. How do you think we can move the needle on that? I know that's a big question, Ooh, but, <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's, you know, I, and I've heard this time and time again of family members who have had other loved ones that were only on hospice two, three days and right. loved one died. Now they're doing this again with another family member and, you know, maybe they were able to do it a week before this time. And they're like, this is such a shame because it was, we could just see what a difference this would have made. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's multifaceted. You know, mm-hmm. this is this is something that's been going on for a long time. This short length of stay on hospice, and some of it is cultural mm-hmm. and our and our sort of unwillingness to um, talk about death in an honest way, mm-hmm. kind of in our culture, and also in the medical culture. You know, we see it changing. We we work with medical students and residents mm-hmm. in training, and they're getting a lot more education earlier on in their. Um, medical education and I think that's a good thing and helping kind of normalize this that this Mm -hmm. is not a failure you know if people die people are going to die whether we do something to them or not Mm -hmm. it's just nature of life and so (laughs) they're kind of I think a little bit more accepting of that and and having communication skills of how to talk about those things and that's something that I mean when we were in school we weren't really taught that Mm -hmm. and so I think that's a really positive change Um, and also increased use of palliative care. So when you have, you know, physicians like Dr. Kandalwal, who's there helping to guide that conversation and get, you know, um, people to have an honest discussion, then um, hopefully we can have that much earlier in the disease process than at the moment of crisis where we only have, you know, days or a week left. You know, I think another potential part of the answer, piece missing piece of the puzzle, and Cooper and I harp on this all the time, is advanced directives and getting people to have these conversations before there's a crisis. Because if you can have a conversation with your mom or dad, you know, 20 years before this whole incident occurs, you know what their wishes are. So then it's a whole lot easier. You have all that time to just mentally prepare yourself and think about it. And then when the time comes and you start to see them decline, you know what they want, you know what they need. You know, they could certainly change their minds, but at least, you know, you, you kind of been in that mental space wouldn't you agree mm-hmm. absolutely yeah it makes a, a ton of sense and uh, unfortunately we're running out of time here but uh, i want to thank dr christine candelwell and dr laura patel for joining us this evening thank you both for taking some time this evening to to chat with us i thought this was very informative thank you so much thanks for having us we will be back in just a bit stick around you're listening to aging matters care and comfort that surrounds you a service of transitions life care on news radio 680 wptf this is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. With your co hosts, Nicole Claggett and Cooper Linton. Here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong. News Radio 680 WPTF, you're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of transitions, life care. And I am Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. And we're actually going to uh, play a, a segment that we did uh, a few weeks back talking all about the Caregiver Summit. These are uh, available right now for registration online at caregiversummit.org. And Nicole and Cooper will explain what they're all about right now. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett and Cooper Linton, and I feel like I need to sound off some sort of siren or uh, maybe fire off some sort of cannon because the Caregiver Summits, it's that time. It's a round of applause we need. Cue oh. up the round of applause. Yeah, <laughs> I wish I had a sound effects machine in here. Hopefully we don't work out yeah. of doing it our own. On the- That's right. <laughs> They sure are coming up. So we just literally opened registration for the upcoming four caregiver summits. But the one I want to focus on today a little bit is the very first caregiver summit, which is going to be on June the 14th at the Sheraton Imperial. Now, this is a new location for us. Uh, Previously, we had held these summits in another location in Durham, but we have sort of outgrown that space and we had a need for ample parking. And so the Sheraton Imperial has been so wonderful to work with us over there in RTP uh, to provide us an amazing venue for the event. 
And for those of you that may not be familiar with that location, it's uh, located just off of Page Road. Uh, so it has a Durham address, but it's right smack in the middle of Research Triangle Park. It's easily accessible mm-hmm. off of 40 and off of 540. No matter where you're coming from, really. You can get – it is really smack dab in the middle of uh, the, the, the large population here in the Triangle. Definitely. And this is actually our 10-year anniversary. Can wow. you believe it? That's I know, incredible. I know I've got the grays to prove it. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, th- I think it's testimony to the number of caregivers that are out there, mm-hmm. uh, the value that they have found in these events. And they've actually driven, the caregivers who've attended in the past have driven the value by saying to us, we want more of this. We want less of something else. Mm-hmm. We want different types of material and told us what it was. And every year we try and retool the content to meet the needs of the caregivers. Yeah, Cooper's got a great point there. You know, it's just not us sitting here, you know, guessing what we think caregivers want and don't want. We take the evaluations that we receive at the end of every single summit extremely seriously. We look at who attends what sessions and we listen to what the caregivers say they wish we had more of. And so some years there may be some very similar uh, type themes that we have going on, but then we usually try to shake things up a bit and, and add something that we really feel the caregivers would appreciate. So we are super excited about our agenda this year for sure in the past we've had two caregiver events that were separated by a week and the content was really the same from one event to the next this year it is different yes all four summits are different we've actually separated all four summits out to give caregivers offerings spread out more throughout the year so uh, instead of holding two really triangle focused summits in june we have one in june uh, in uh, durham and then we actually moved the raleigh summit which historically had been in june to october People asked, could we do these at different times of the year? The answer is yes, we can, and they've now been spread out. Uh, We've moved them to uh, the Durham one in particular to a different location to make parking easier for those people who have issues with mobility. Uh, We felt that that was critical. Uh, and we have a greater diversity of classes than we ever have before. So it's a kind of a fresh look to something that's in, in its 10-year anniversary. Definitely. And, you know, the cost for us putting on these summits, it is, it's pretty phenomenal. And so we are really super excited this year. We were able to actually attract the attention of AARP, and they have actually agreed to be an underwriting sponsor of our summits this year. And we've also uh, gotten support from two presenting sponsors, LifeLinks and also Clarity Legal Group. And because of those three groups right off the bat, right from the beginning, we've been able to maintain the same cost that we were able to charge caregivers last year. So it's very nominal fee of $15 for caregivers to attend. Uh, we offer off-site respite that day that folks can arrange for an event in advance. So if it's difficult for you to coordinate uh, the ability to come because you're caring for a loved one, which makes a lot of sense, that's probably why you would attend, you would arrange for adult daycare services. And we have all of that information actually on our website for folks to to connect with. So the question keeps coming up, how do you do this for $15? And Nicole absolutely nailed it. It is the sponsors, it's the underwriting sponsors. So you have AARP, Clarity Legal, LifeLinks, but you also have the people who have vendor tables there. Mm-hmm. And that serves two purposes. One, it helps pay for the event, but more relevantly for the caregivers, it we end up with a room full of resources that you can come there and in the course of one hour, be able to talk to more 
organizations that are able to help you in your caregiving journey than you might could in the rest of the year trying to schedule things. And, you know, Jason, I know last year was the very first year you'd ever attended a caregiver summit. Um, you came and, and came to check it out since we talked so much about it at, uh, on the on the radio. Talk to us a little bit about what you saw, because, you know, we're sitting here, you know, the ones that are planning it, but you were there with totally fresh eyes. Yeah, it was it was incredible. You know, we, we talk about it here on the air and the, the image that I actually saw there from what was in my head was was completely different. You know, I, I was expecting something a little bit more smaller and intimate. But I mean, <laughs> if you thought of uh, basically any sort of caregiver situation or any sort of resource or uh, health professional that you might be interested in talking with or category, it was it was there. We tried. It was there. <laughs> uh, it was just very well represented. And, and the people there, I, that's the part that stuck with me the most. Um, the, the amount of people who had been to previous caregiver summits and who came back because they found it as uh, such a tremendous resource. And again, you know, you, you've only got four of these for the year and mm-hmm. you've got everything in there in one place where you can uh, talk to professionals, which, as you said, would just take a, a tremendous amount of time and probably money uh, if, if you were trying to do that all on your own. So uh, it's it, it was a great experience, and I'll, I'll be back at the events this year because uh, it, it's just great to see it. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that things have been spread out a little bit more and mm-hmm. um, the way that uh, the, the content is set up, that if you wanted to attend two or, or three and you didn't maybe want to knock it all out in one day and you wanted to spread it out, mm-hmm. you had that option this year. Well, yeah, and especially because the content is different. Mm-hmm. We really wanted to really kind of create a series of events that would really help a caregiver no matter what their what their caregiving-related issue is. And so that's an important thing. You know, we just did a show on Alzheimer's disease. And mm-hmm. um, while we do have some sessions that are specific to Alzheimer's and dementia just mainly because 50% of the people over the age of 85 have some sort of a dementia diagnosis. We also have other sessions that are for folks that have other disease diagnoses and also um, just general caregiving support information or even things like the business of caregiving, really how to financially handle this, how to handle the estate, how to handle, um, you know, medications or falls risks. So, you know, regardless of what your loved one's diagnosis is, we find based on our evaluations that caregivers find this very valuable. When we interviewed caregivers, one of the key things we heard from them was how much they valued being in a place where they were with like-minded folks. You know, they were no longer alone. And so much of what happens with caregiving, particularly in the home environment, is you are taking care of someone, but that process can be isolating. Mm -hmm. And caregivers talked about how valuable it was to hear from other caregivers, to have lunch with other caregivers, uh, just to have small talk in the hallways between, between classes or in the vendor room for them to recognize that there's a community of caregivers and that they get together multiple times during the year for these events uh, and, and they found emotional value in that. So if folks want to register for this summit, it's they go to online to caregiverssummit.org and you can go ahead and register for one or all four of these. But I know we're kind of running short on time and we also have another pretty amazing event coming up that I want to make sure that we touch on as and well. And it's a little sooner, Nicole. It, uh, is. it is April 14th. Right around the corner. It is right around the corner. It is April 14th. It is the uh, Advanced Directives event that transitions life care. Uh, is hosting on our campus at 250 Hospice Circle. Uh, We're going to encourage you to go online to transitionslifecare.org and click on the calendar of events and register for that. There's an 11 o'clock session and a 1230 session on Saturday the 14th, and we will help you 
execute your advanced directives, understand what they are. We'll have the documents there, the attorneys there, notary publics there. You can even leave with copies. We're going to have refreshments. Uh, We have one of our own physicians, uh, Dr. Christopher Thompson, who's going to be there to address medical questions. It's been done in conjunction with the North Carolina Bar Association and the North Carolina Center for Compassionate Care. So we are privileged to host that on April 14th. But there's more. Folks listening can come and wish you a very happy birthday that day. Oh, that is true. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to spend my birthday doing advanced directives. I'm a little passionate about this issue. So The greatest gift of all, right? <laughs> he certainly is. <laughs> Again, transitionslifecare.org. Head over to the calendar of events section if you are interested in attending the advanced directives event. And also, if you're interested in registering for the Caregiver Summits, uh, caregiversummit.org, caregiversummit.org. Org, yes, I got that you right. You got it. You I, are okay. I scared myself for a second. <laughs> did I say the right thing? Well, luckily, I did. Well, we are just about out of time. Thank you so much for joining us this evening on Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you. I want to remind you that you can always go to transitionslifecare.org for more information. We'll be back next week. Thanks so much for listening. This is News Radio 680 WPTF. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. For more information, log on transitionslifecare.org.